bootleggers bombing Ben Latin, I'm still cracking. I will not lose. I simply refuse. I dropped the same date as the Twin Towers. I show power. Still, I show compassion for others and money and flowers. Devote hours. I live in a struggle. I'm addicted to the hustle. I'm conflicted because, dude, America, this land of mine, is filled with prisoners with the same plans as mine. So I'm a walking contradiction. On one hand, I love my position, but easily I could have been in that prison. From Breaking Atoms comes our new original podcast series celebrating the 20th anniversary of Jay-Z's sixth album, The Blueprint. In this fourth and final episode, we'll look at The Blueprint's release date coinciding with the World Trade Center attack, the album's critical success and commercial reception, its influence on the artists who came before and after, and the enduring legacy 20 years on. This is... The Ruler's Back. The original release date for the blueprint was Tuesday, 18th of September 2001. To combat the likelihood of bootlegging, Def Jam brought the release date forward to Tuesday, 11th of September 2001. The album shares its release date with Ghetto Fabulous by Fabulous and Love and Theft by Bob Dylan. Andrew Barber, founder of Fake Shore Drive, remembers seeing album promo for the blueprint with the original release date. That was the original release date. And I don't know why it was moved up. If it was just so hot, they had to get it out or if it leaked or whatever. But they they pushed up the release date to be September 11th. Jameel Younguru Keaton, Grammy Award winning engineer, recalls being in Miami to record a collaborative album for Memphis Bleak and Beanie Siegel. During this time, he and the team received retail copies of the blueprint fresh off the press and listened to it for the first time. What happened was Bleak's brother got into an accident on one of those scooters out there in Miami. You know, you rent the scooters or whatever. So all of us, you know, me, hot, just, all the state property, everybody was just like, okay, let's go to Miami. So we go to Circle House, and I remember we got the physical copy of the Blueprint, like the actual CD, the vinyl, all of that stuff. And we were upstairs in the small studio, all of us just smoking crazy, sitting back, just listening to this CD. And was like, man, it's, this album is so good. Like all of us as Rockefeller, like first time looking, it's not out yet. First time looking at all the artwork. The album's cover is a striking image of Jay-Z sat on a desk with a cigar in tow. It was shot by Jonathan Mannion with art direction by Jason Noto. It was inspired by an image that appeared in Jocelyn Bain Hogg's book, The Firm. For a period of time, that book was banned in the UK for depicting organised crime in Britain. The memorable image takes its inspiration from UK legend Dave Courtney, OBE. In an unreleased interview with Hip Hop Chronicle in February 2011, Dave Courtney explains the original photo was taken at the Oxford Union. Someone lived in my house for 18 months and followed me for 18 months taking a, a, a photographs. made a book called The Firm, but the, the book became a bigger hit in America than it did over here. In it, he took a picture of me, an aerial shot, while I was actually addressing the Oxford Union. So he took the photograph, put his head on my picture, and used it as a cover of his album, a blueprint. Listen, I was over the fucking moon. Jay-Z put me on the cover of his album. I cannot tell you how fucking... I actually thought that was. I had a picture of him at the time stuck on the side of my fridge. My kids were like, wow, right? But he put me on the cover of his album. Much like sampling, if you try to replicate someone's work, you'll need to pay up. Dave Courtney reveals that Jocelyn Bainhog threatened to sue Jay-Z if he wasn't compensated for inspiring the album's cover all of which was unknown to Dave Courtney at the time. I never, I hadn't gone out to see him at the time, but then, unbeknown to me, the photographer, who is the owner of that photograph, forget who's in it, actually gets in touch with him without talking to me, and went, if you don't pay me X amount of pounds, I'm going to fucking 
sue you. So he had to take all of the albums off the shelf all around the world. On the second day it was released, and they've arranged a thing over the phone, an out-of-court settlement. What it was, I don't know. Yeah, I yeah. don't know any of this has gone on. Young Guru divulges that Rockefeller shared the beats for the uncompleted Beans and Bleak album among state property members. During this time, Just Blaze and Freeway also discovered their unique synergy. Just was doing a bunch of beats for, uh, for, for Bleak and for Beans, and everybody else is always sticking their head in like, yo, can I get that? Can I get... But him and Freeway had a special relationship. So Free was just like, yo, come on, fam. We've been down here for like a week already. I can't get... Not like, come on, can one of these... Come? And Just pulled out his ASRX. He doesn't really use the... AS, you know, Just can use any machine. But he pulled out the ASRX and just hit the... Just Blaze, producer and DJ knew that the blueprint was special when he saw the crowd reaction after a Miami DJ played You Don't Know, which he produced. We're all living in Miami at the time. So we're in, I think it was club level in LS1. DMX's DJ is DJ. He plays You Don't Know and the crowd goes nuts. They don't know the record like that, but the fact that so many did, like as soon as the term of music, ah, they're all singing along now. You might expect that in New York because that's our whole market. But to be in Miami and the record was just released the day before made me realize, yo, we might have something. And then he spun it back like three or four times and I'm like, yo, this is, this is crazy. Even though The Blueprint is a creative triumph, Young Guru reflects on those close to Rockefeller who had passed away. We went through a, like a really bad period of, man, it had to be like a good two, two and a half year period where like every three to four months, somebody from our crew was passing away. While we were in Miami, Aaliyah passes away. Aaliyah was flying to us. Remember, she was doing the Rock the Boat video. She was flying from there to Miami. She was flying to us. She was going to come to Circle House to do this remix that Just was working. And, you know, it's not just like, oh, Aaliyah passed. It was like at the time, like that's Dame's lady. You know what I mean? So she's one of us. She was like part of Rockefeller. He also remembers the shock of waking up on 9-11 to see the Twin Towers burning and not focusing on music. We actually spent the night in the studio because it's the last night we're there. We're wrapping up. We're getting everything together. We're doing finals on whatever else we're doing. I wake up and I look at the television and I see the first tower burning. Now, this is the day the blueprint's supposed to drop. And then I've seen the second plane hit. And I was like, oh, shit, this ain't an accident. So I wake just up. And I'm like, yo, look at what's going on. Bean's mom had to get somebody to drive his second Bentley with her. She drove one of the Bentleys and had somebody drive the second Bentley from all the way from Philly all the way down to Miami to come pick them up because we couldn't get home. September 11th, that day, our mind was not on music whatsoever. On the morning of Tuesday, 11th of September, 2001, at 8.46 a.m. and 9.03 a.m. Eastern Time, Two hijacked planes flew into the north and south towers of the World Trade Center. The death toll was long, with thousands of people, including civilians, military personnel, law enforcement officers and firefighters, perishing due to the attack. Andrew Barber shares the story of what it was like as a college student to wake up on 9-11 and feel the excitement of a new Jay-Z album being in the wild. He goes even further and tells us how the whole vibe around him changed when he saw the news of what took place in New York that morning. I remember just waking up. I had gone out the night before and waking up at like 10 a.m. And like, 
you know, everybody was excited to get this album. Like that was the only thing I had to do that next day was buy that album and go to a couple classes. And then you wake up and like, you know, all hell had broken loose. And it was like, nobody really knew, you know, what was going on. If this was like, you know, I just remember every TV, I remember walking to the, but I, cause I still went and bought it that day. I went to the, to a, the music shop that wasn't far from where I lived. And I just remember every door it was cause it was still warm. You know, it was, it was September 11th and like everybody's door was open. You could hear TVs, everything. It was just, it was such an eerie experience, but you know, still went and bought it that day. Writer Jason Burford was a young whippersnapper when the blueprint was released. However, the thick sense of fear around him on the day is still vivid in his mind. As an adult, he looks at the blueprint as a soundtrack that lifted people's spirits. That day, I remember that day a little bit, bro. I was in fucking kindergarten and I remember my parents picked me up from school and they, like early, like we left school early, like, like right when we got there. Cause that shit happened like in the fucking morning. I just remember like people being afraid, you know what I mean? And I can imagine that music didn't really matter to people that day. But like when you listen to the blueprint, like something's gonna go down and we need something to pick us back up. A lot of the songs on Blueprint feel like someone's picking us back up into something. Whereas it's like people are going back from the rubble of Ground Zero and are trying to like raise themselves back up, but like in a real way, not in that fake Rudy Giuliani shit. You know what I mean? Like in that real like, nah, we gotta heal together as a city and come back from this shit. Larry Compton, AKA New Face, the hip hop memorabilia master, says the events of 9-11 caused him to lose his job, but that loss made him more thankful for life. Immersing himself in the music and listening to the blueprint was a therapeutic form of healing for him. I worked at the airport. I was doing um, Gate Gourmet. So that was a food a company that puts the food on the airplanes before they lift off. I was going to get my check. I was on route and you have to get clearance before going on and everything. And they said, yeah, that's not happening today. Um, we're getting worried about a, a something that happened in New York. We're, we're shutting down every all access. Uh, we'll worry about checks later. And I found out and I'm like, okay, yeah, I can't be worried about my check. Like that's that's something big right there happening. Um, and then once it settled down, it was like, shit, I was out of a job. While that happened, I still had my tape store, my record place where I went and, and, and Fabulous dropped that day. Blueprint dropped that day. Um, it was a, a Mel LaRue. Like, I remember just picking up like four CDs that day. Like, well, if I'm not doing anything, uh, I got music. And, and just thinking about those families and those suffering um, in New York. Oliver Wang, co-host of the Heat Rocks podcast, discloses when he first listened to the Blueprint and recalls having reservations when pressing play. I don't remember exactly how long it took me to finally come back to listen to it. I would probably say within a week or two um, after 9-11. And what I can say is that I did not go into the album with a lot of massive expectations. And with the blueprint, while I certainly like the playfulness of Izzo as a leadoff song, it didn't prepare me for how much I was going to love the blueprint specifically. Uh, precisely because it brought in all of these incredible and sublime 60s and 70s soul samples that really helped to anchor the blueprint in this very distinct sound. I don't know, I'd have to really go back and study the different albums of that era, but to me, I think my initial thought listening to the blueprint back then uh, in 2001 is I thought it was his most cohesive listening album since Reasonable Doubt. 
Jesse Bernard, writer and music researcher, regards The Blueprint as a complete body of work that can appeal to various hip-hop audiences. I think it's, if you want an album, if you want to kind of pick an album or tell any, give anyone an album that describes Baby Doe's show rap at its best, then it's just purest and having all of those great components, The Blueprint is probably top three, top three I'd, I'd, I'd put up there personally. Um, it's got every little bit of what every kind of rap head wants from, from uh, I guess, from a Jay-Z album. And that's why I think this album won so many people over as, as compared to its previous ones. The Blueprint sold 427,000 copies in its first week of release, debuted at number one, and didn't move from that spot for three weeks. The feat is impressive for Lily Mercer, DJ and presenter, considering the album only had one credited guest appearance. So I think the legacy, I mean, for many reasons, like I think that this is kind of like the real um, entry point into like hip hop becoming like super commercial because at that time, like, I mean, this album, I believe it went number one on the hip hop charts quite a few weeks. Like it was a very big album that drops around that time. And I think even with like the kind of the artists that came off the back of this, like, cause this album is pretty much feature free, isn't it? Like there's not really any features on it, but I mean, although saying that like Slick Rick, I didn't realize like, cause you can hear Slick Rick on Girls, 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 but I didn't realize it was also rest in peace Bismarcky Q-Tips does it he's like a vocalist on it too but like if you think about it for Jay-Z to have like a kind of feature free album at that time that charted like that like that is really impressive to look back on um, maybe we didn't realise it at the time how much this was going to be like what, where rap was placed in the music like industry but at the time I think it was like a bit of a shock how much this was kind of like you know a billboard charting album and it was just like completely pure rap you know Music and pop culture in general move fast. Tastes and expectations switch up quicker than a twist-averse. For UK-based culture writer Nicholas Tyrell Scott, The Blueprint is Jay-Z's most thorough and consistent album. He highlights Jay-Z's exemplary form throughout the project and how he stepped up when many of his peers saw the exit. He had a lot of haters at the time. He had a lot of contemporaries who were fearing him, who were challenged by him, who felt kind of... um, uncomfortable with him and he held his own across his project he didn't take his foot off the gas for one minute every song has a line or two about his his ability to kind of hold it down and his ability to still be a very strong part of hip-hop and his ability to rule hip-hop that's what he wanted to do and he did it for a a short period of years as well um he had his moment in his era that's known as you know jay-z's sean carter era of hip-hop dylan green writer and host of the real notes podcast is grateful for the blueprint because he believes it's the gift that keeps on giving back to the culture. Like how sampling takes the old and makes it new, Dylan also talks about how many emerging and established artists reference lines from the blueprint to create fresh music. The 92 Brick story on Never Change is like, that's like that's another moment where he was just like, y'all really thought I was playing, huh? Like, and he, he, he has to explain how the whole thing happened. And it's like, on Never Changes a bit where he said, what you eat don't make me shit. And I had to think about like, wait a minute. Like I heard J. Cole say that exact line on uh, Forbidden Fruit when he said what I did was whack, but you don't get a nigga back like that on All I Need. Ghostface made an entire song around that concept on Fish Scale. Like that's just say it all there. Like people are making entire songs out of one or two bars from Jay-Z songs. He gave us the Summer Jam screen. He gave us You Need More People. He gave us the You Made It A Hot Line, I Made It A Hot Song. Like that album alone gave so much to rap culture that like how could you ever deny it akash sharma 
writer and assistant editor for Hip Hop and More, further elaborates on how the influence of the blueprint is reflected in today's hip hop market and has raised a generation of rap babies. Lupe Fiasco has a line, back when Kendrick Lamar dropped the control verse, he responded and he said, I've done so much, no matter how far you go, you will reflect me. And taking that out of its context and applying it here, I really think it's perfect. If you're listening to a wide enough scope of things today, you're listening to music that was either inspired by the blueprint or inspired by something that was inspired by the blueprint. That's really the best way I can say it. So whether you like it or not, whether you know it or not, whether you care to know it or not, you have to respect it. For writer Mickey Hallebach, when listening to a Jay-Z album, he unlocks the diverse chambers of rediscovery. I just bought my first car and uh, I don't think I'd played Blueprint front to back in a whip before, especially one of my own. Um, that's just so bangs. Like the production is so crazy in the whip. And I, I mean... The thing that's crazy about Jay-Z albums is every time you listen, it is for sure. And I may, maybe this is a little cheesy, but it's such a rediscovery. Sean Sotaro, associate editor for Complex, now sees the blueprint as the album that simultaneously challenged the general impression of a rapper and solidified Jay-Z as a hip hop figurehead. To me, the main thing about the blueprint was it moved Jay-Z from being a rapper to being the rapper. It was really the time where he set himself apart and became not just one of a bunch of platinum acts, but the person the popular culture thinks of when they think of a rapper. Actor and personality, Pain in the Ass, explores the definition of the hustler mentality and explains why he thinks the blueprint is the perfect Jay-Z album. It was, quote unquote, the perfect Jay-Z album. Everything aligned just right for him. I think that's what the legacy is of that. Like I said, he perfected the hustler's mentality of quick, fast, and efficient on that album. He was so much in the zone. He told the story of Sean Carter through Jay-Z perfectly on the Blueprint album. Producer Bink expands on the legacy of the Blueprint by comparing it to three other classic hip-hop albums that also changed the way other artists made music. I think it it played the same the same purpose that Life After Death and Doggy Style did. You know, and Equimini. Albums like that. Like it was very pivotal to the sound and the and in this in the, in the landscape of, of how people did music. Like we made people rethink how they was doing rap. You know what I'm saying? So that's why I say I, I pride myself into being the guy that changed Rockefeller sound on that album. Like Jay always had soulful beats from, from Reasonable Doubt, but the way I was doing it was a little different. Young Guru recognizes that he was live in the flesh to help craft a culturally defining piece of art. He also shares that working so closely with Jay-Z on the album strengthened their personal and professional relationship. He also believes that the blueprint preserves the legacy of his little brother, the late Kamel Abdo. It's a monumental album that I'm a part of, it sort of solidifies like the speed of which me and Jay work together and like how good he is. It solidifies that relationship wise for me. Um, when I look back just as a as a music fan and I look at certain albums, you look at her like, and take it outside of hip hop, right? Just like, imagine being there when, you know, Back in Black is being made. Imagine being there when Sgt. Pepper is being made. Like, imagine being, like, I was there for one of those type of albums. 
So that's what it means to me. It means I'm like, I'm, I'm eternally a part of history or like Kamel's name is always going to be in those credits and he's going to live forever through that album. As mentioned in the first episode of this series, Jay-Z was dealing with several legal issues in this period of his life. Jason Burford and later Bianca Gracie both speak on how the blueprint catapulted Jay-Z to become a Teflon Don artistically, legally and financially. Like It's the start of Jay-Z just being like untouchable. Untouchable. He stabs on at the club. He gets away with just probation. And after that, he was like, actually, nah, I'm just going to start making money. The Blueprint's his last album where he's like, I am making a pure, just like competing rap record. And after the Blueprint, it starts to become like, I'm on a different level. I am marketing my music to a different set of people. Prior to the Blueprint, he was coming out of, you know, being accused of, you know, gun possession and assault. Like he was, he probably could have went to jail, you know? So he had these demons on his shoulder and he, rather than succumbing to the pressure, he used that as motivation to really excel and really brought him into an untouchable position as the king, as Hove, the Hove that we know today, you know, I'm not a businessman, I'm a businessman. The impact of the blueprint banged on a worldwide scale. The album saw chart success in many countries, including Canada, France, Switzerland, and more. Yemi Abiyade examines the blueprint's importance on British soil and how he detects remnants of its influence in various UK hip-hop and grime artists. I think Jay-Z's overall influence is more visible to see in certain rappers. So I'd say people like Kano, I'd say people like Getz, Wretch, Maybe some of the like, some of the blueprints more cinematic uh, moments, like the rulers back, can lend themselves to you know projects by the likes of Gigs and that road rap generation of like Blade Brown and Young's Teflon and and Joe Black and those types of people. Music and culture writer Tandy Sabanda speaks on the prophetic style of the blueprints musical content. She also explains how she thinks that Jay-Z used this album to shine a light on the joyfulness of black people and how much that positive representation impacted her as a young child. In hip-hop culture, the blueprint is literally the blueprint. We've got all the greatest producers. It is where Kanye West started off and is at at the moment. And I like to always say that we always, at the moment, when you're a Jay-Z stan in 2021, you are just waiting for his latest like verse and what he thinks about different things in the world. And one thing Jay-Z is doing is just affirming everything from the moment he did. He dropped Reasonable Doubt to the blueprint and affirming everything he said came into this motherfucker Hannah Grant do you know what I mean everything has been affirmed everything he said he was gonna do he's doing it if not more and for me personally seeing black boy joy at the age of four seeing this guy big lips you know he's got girls wearing the exact same t-shirt that is just black excellence to me that is everything we should be looking up to for hip hop on a standard of business and I can honestly say the blueprint is the blueprint to a lot of your favourite rappers sound at the moment whether they like it or not whether they've realised it or not from the soulful beats to the to the enunciations of who they are etc it's at the base nothing's been the same since in 2018 the blueprint was added to the National Recording Registry. 
The National Recording Registry lists sound recordings that are culturally, historically, or aesthetically important and inform or reflect life in the United States. Additions to the archive have to be at least 10 years old and can include anything from music to recordings of significant moments in history. Other entries in the registry include a recording of the first transatlantic phone call from 1927 and Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. New Face believes the album's inclusion in the National Recording Registry is essential. But for him, as a hip-hop enthusiast, the blueprint is a holistic listening experience because Jay-Z ingrained so much of his innermost being into the songs. And as a result, he opened up a world of undiscovered possibilities for Sean Carter and the culture. It's a culturally impactful album. It actually, I mean, if you look at the... um National Recording Registry. It's the first album from the 21st century to be added to the culturally and historically important album. Just that alone says a lot for it for it to be the first rap album. But just where it stands from Jay Z's, it was like a, a maturation of just Sean Carter himself, where he was musically as an evolution for him. Um, it just stands at where you can take music and how big and where one album can take a person's career. Jaina Jefferson fondly looks back at the blueprint and sees it as the point in which Jay-Z's unique brand of self-assurance thrust him to new heights. For Jaina, the blueprint was the sound of solace and solidarity amid New York's unified bereavement. Well, I think that this album had Jay-Z at his most confident. He was really self-assured. He was growing in his levels of vulnerability. But above all, he was unapologetically Brooklyn and unapologetically talented and unapologetically wealthy. And that brand of braggadocio is so very New York. And I feel like people hadn't felt that energy from him since perhaps reasonable doubt. Um, And I think it also signaled an evolution for him of sorts. He had rock aware. He was becoming a brand outside of hip hop. And these songs were, I think, the beginning of him really telling everybody who he was and being confident and standing in that confidence. And I think that this album, outside of the Eminem feature, he was really relying on himself. There weren't any skits. There weren't any gimmicks. It was just hip hop. It was the beef. It was the braggadocio. It was the confidence. And all of those attributes made him a hip hop star. The blueprint is a mosaic of past snapshots, which Jay-Z uses to develop a picture for the future. Throughout the project, he constantly salutes his fellow artists and recognises them for their contributions. Even shouts out UK groups Right Said Fred and Soul to Soul, highlighting his broadened worldview. Sean Sotaro ties the album's opening and closing together while connecting two perennial hip-hop storytellers. He suspects that this design is not a coincidence. It's become part of the continuum that it references. Think about what's the first thing you hear on that record. The first thing you hear on that record is an homage to Slick Rick. Right. Is is effectively a remake of a a Slick Rick song. And the last thing you hear is a Biggie lyric. Right. He ends the the girls, girls, girls part two with the like, isn't it great? You know, my flight leaves at eight or flight lands at nine. Right. I have to assume I wasn't there when it was sequenced, but I have to assume that's intentional. Carl Lamar, hip hop editor for Billboard, believes the blueprint was the impetus that boosted New York hip hop's morale and reinvigorated the city's tenacious spirit. He also explains why he thinks The Blueprint is the best Jay-Z album and fully deserving of its classic status. Front to back, man, that album 
magnum opus to this day, despite all the other albums he put out, just knowing the, 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 the gravity of the situation, dropping on 9-11, doing 400,000 first week for that album to have such an impact, you know, the way that it did, not just on hip hop, but New York at a time where we were down and out, you know, um, I, I'd be. I'd be remiss not to just say like, it's, it's, it's a classic piece of work, man. And for me, it's the best Hove album. You know, obviously I, I love reasonable doubt. That's a classic to me. I love black. Album. That's a classic to me. Four, four, four. That's a classic to me, but blueprint absolute game changer. 20 years on and the influence of the blueprint continues to show itself throughout the world of music. It's an artistic benchmark with the lasting relationship to the catastrophic loss. We all suffered on nine 11. The most fervent fans of Jay-Z can connect songs from the blueprint to milestone moments in their lives. We've spoken about how many copies it sold and all the M's Jay-Z has acquired since. One million, two million, three million, four or more. It doesn't matter. With the blueprint, Jay-Z tripled his worth to the culture and did what all visionary leaders do, lead by example. It's hard to believe that Jay-Z created the bulk of the blueprint in a weekend. But remember, this is the same man that once said, difficult takes a day and impossible takes a week. It's just different. To close, Just Blaze looks back at the Blueprint's quick turnaround time, game-changing ways and lasting legacy. Uh, It was a spur-of-the-moment idea that turned into a three-day session that culturally shifted the way that music sounded. Not many artists can say that they've done that. It's not many albums whose anniversaries get celebrated every year, but it does. At the same time, it's also the anniversary of one of the horrific events in recent history. The fact that album had the success that it had at that time, and to still kind of have that dichotomy of, hey, happy Blueprint Day, but it also it's like, hey, it's September 11th. You know what I mean? It's polarizing to it. But that just is just a testament to the fact that on a day where many people are mourning, there's also the flip side of that where people still celebrate something great that happened that day. And to this day, I still can't get over the fact that we did it in three days. This series is produced by Breaking Atoms and is mixed and mastered by Dave Walker. Thank you for listening to The Rulers Back. If you've enjoyed the series, please leave a rating or write a review on your preferred podcast app. Follow Breaking Atoms on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter for more info and updates on our weekly show.